Revelation chapter 4 tonight. These next two chapters that we're going to be looking at, both tonight and next Wednesday, are a fitting interlude to Jesus' message to his church and then the outpouring of judgment upon the earth. It is a reminder that God is being worshipped at all times, regardless of what's going on here on the earth. In fact, worship is prominent in heaven. It's one of the things that we are going to see these next couple of weeks. The worshipers in this vision that's given to John progress from the living creatures we're going to see that worship God in chapter 4, verse 8, to the elders in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, to finally every creature in chapter 5, verse 13. And so tonight, let's just get into this great chapter and just take a look at it a little bit. I've entitled again this chapter, and next week, the wonder and worship of God. Again, as I said at the very beginning, everything projected out from the person of God who is sitting on the throne is inspiring wonder and worship in everything around him. And everything around him in heaven is projecting towards him wonder and worship. Keep that in mind. John writes, after these things, Jesus' message to the churches, I looked and there was a door standing open in heaven. This door is symbolic that there's access to heaven, that heaven is accessible, that God is approachable. We saw in our series in the Gospel of John at the great I Am statements of Jesus where Jesus said, I am the door. And here we see a door standing open in heaven. Thank God for a door in, open in heaven that you and I can have access and can approach the God of wonder and awe. It is also a door standing open to remind us that God is very much interested and involved in the events that's going to happen on the earth as he has been throughout his creation that at any time God can intervene in his created order. In fact, as we saw in Peter, there are scoffers who say, oh, everything's just like it always was. And they deny willfully that God has always intervened in his creation. He owns it, because as we're going to see at the end tonight, he's the one that created all things. This voice that John heard speaking to him was like a trumpet. Trumpets usually in the Bible were announcing a visitation of God or some significant event. And John is told to come up here so that he can show you what must happen after these things. Come up here, John. I want to take you to heaven for a moment. Something every Christian desires, right? Get a glimpse of heaven. God, Give me a little bit of what heaven will be like. Well, guess what? Over the next two weeks, God gives his servants a glimpse into heaven of what heaven is like. 
And what we can take from that and apply from that is that much of what we are seeing in these next two weeks is already going on in heaven and has been for a long time. And it is what will take place in heaven throughout eternity that you and I, every once in a while, will be a part of. As I said, these are two of the chapters that you and I can say we're going to be there one day. And I believe that that day that we are there, that eternal day when we step from earth into eternity, as we talked about Sunday, we'll remember this night. I remember that night when we talked about this. And now I'm here and I'm actually in my glorified body, able to experience it and to see it. But if you ever wanted to know a little bit, not all that heaven is, but if you ever wanted to know a little bit about heaven, all you have to do is open up your Bible and turn to Revelation 4 and 5. And remember, this book is primarily the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't get caught up and center it on end-time events and, and all of that. If you miss the main point of the book, it's about Jesus. It's about making sure we know who Jesus is and that we are putting him in his rightful place, which is what worship is all about. So he says, come up here, I will show you things. Notice what must happen after these things. These is, this is one of the phrases that should give us comfort as Christians, even in our day. The phrase must happen. It, it means of divine necessity, that God has willed it, that God has decreed it, that God has prophesied about it, and therefore it must happen just as God said. Again, that's something that should be very encouraging and comforting because there's a lot that God has willed, decreed, and prophesied about that we're trusting in, right? That we're resting in. And, and these things must take place because God cannot lie. Everything God said is going to happen is going to happen exactly down to every minute detail, exactly what God said. So immediately, John says, I was in the Spirit. I was transported in the Spirit. That's important. It is a reminder to us that even in this situation, the Spirit of God is what is enabling John to experience a greater experience with God, to, to see God in a greater way, to experience God in a deeper way. It's through the Spirit I want us to be encouraged by that because even though we may not be caught up to heaven in the Spirit, there's so much through the Spirit that you and I can, can experience and can engage with that will give, give us greater understanding into God, into His will, into His ways, into His plan. I want to read these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that reminds us of this. Here are the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 11. But just as it is written... Things that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined are the things God has prepared for those who love him. You love God? Guess what? He's prepared some stuff for you, right? How do we understand those things, grasp those things, comprehend those things, even know those things? God has revealed these to us by the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the things of a man except the man's spirit within him? So to no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. That's why the Bible encourages us as Christians to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. Because just like John, in a similar way, it is through the teaching of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit and the guiding of the Spirit that we gain more of God and more of an understanding of God. The Spirit of God brings God down to a level that we can understand and grasp to some degree. And that is so important because even as believers in Jesus Christ, we are finite and God is infinite. And there's no way that finite human beings could even begin. In fact, we just even as believers, get only a glimpse. And, and that's one of the things that eternity is going to be all about is it's going to take all of eternity. And we're still not going to be to the end of understanding and knowing and comprehending and grasping God. Why? Because he's infinite. And I realize that stretches us to our limits because everything that you and I know, everything that we come in contact with is finite. It has a boundary. It can be measured. It has a limitation to it. There's nothing about God that has a limit. He is measureless. He has no boundaries. And everything about God is limitless. So let's just apply that for a minute. That means that God's love is limitless. It has no end to it. His wisdom has no end. There's never a point where God gets to the end of his wisdom. No, infinite. There's no end to his mercy. There's no end to his power. It goes on and on and on and on. There is no end. That's who our God is. And that's why if any of us as human beings are going to even start to try to wrap our minds around our God and, and, and live in greater awe and wonder. It's only going to be through the Spirit of God. So notice, the Spirit takes him to heaven, and the first thing that John is fixated on is a throne. And that's key, because it's key here. The word throne or God's throne is mentioned 11 times in these 11 verses. <laughs> That's pretty important, right? Repetition in the Bible is something that tries to get our attention about something, right? 11 times in these 11 verses, God's throne is mentioned. Why? Because God wants to remind us, I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I'm ruling and reigning my universe that I created. I'm on the throne. And you and I need to never forget that God is always on his throne. He always has been, and he always will be. There was a throne standing in heaven. It speaks of the authority and power of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And thank the Lord it wasn't an empty throne. No, John says someone was seated on it. It's God, right? But even John is like, I can't really totally describe for you in the human language that I know what I'm seeing of this person 
this personage on the throne. All I can do is give you similarities. So notice in verse 3, the one seated on it was like. That's a key word in this chapter. You want to know why? Because it's used nine times. He's not saying, I can't tell you exactly, but it's similar to what this you know. Like, like, like. You see it all the time. So even John is reminding us, even in the Spirit, I can't totally articulate and express what I am seeing, but I will do my best to explain to you this person who is seated on the throne, who is inspiring wonder and awe and worship from everything around him. He is like Jasper. He is like Carnelian or Ruby in appearance. He's like a rainbow made of emerald encircling the throne. In other words, all John can do to describe the majesty and splendor of God is to use the brilliant colors of these precious stones. And then he says, in the circle around the throne, verse 4, were 24 other thrones, and seated on those thrones were 24 elders. Now, we could talk a lot about who we think the identity of these 24 elders are. I don't think that that's what we should spend our time doing. Because what are the 24 elders going to do? They're going to worship the one who's seated on the throne. And so what I see is this. I see these 24 elders as being part of the worship leaders in heaven who are going to lead others in the worship of the one who is seated on the throne. That's who they are. They are dressed in white clothing, and they have golden crowns on their heads, crowns that they are going to cast before the throne in verse 10. Verse 5. From the throne came out flashes of lightning and roaring and crashes of thunder. These phenomena highlight the power and the awesomeness of God. It is a reminder that we all should live in awe of God. We should have a proper view of who God is. And even as followers of God, we can bring God down to our level rather than allowing him to be the God that he is. Even if he is beyond our comprehension and understanding, that's okay. He always will be. See, I believe even in heaven, we won't be able to understand or grasp all of God. If any of his creatures or creation could grasp and understand everything that God is, then they would be God. Only God can truly understand the depths of God, you see. Again, that's how awesome and wondrous he is. He is infinite in a universe that he created where everything else that he created is finite. And there's power here. 
even coming out of the throne. Then seven flaming torches, which are the sevenfold spirit of God, is burning in front of the throne. And all I could think about is this symbolizes the spirit of God burning in front of the throne are a couple things. One, on the day of Pentecost, those cloven tongues of fire came down and filled people with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues and evidenced the supernatural enablement and power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God gives us power, you see. And it is through his power, too, that the church can burn brightly and be a light, as we are told that's what God wants of his church. That's why he refers to the churches as lampstands or menorahs or lighthouses in chapters 2 and 3 because he wants his people to burn brightly and give a clear message of who he is to everyone around them. That's what we should be. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but now through me, you are the light of the world. Do not hide your light. Let it shine. And it is only through the Spirit of God being in the midst of his people that we can truly shine and burn for God, as the Spirit of God burns in front of God's throne. Verse 6, in front of the throne was something, here again, like a sea of glass like crystal. It wasn't a sea of glass like crystal, but it's as close as I can come. And you can only imagine, after thinking of back to verse 3, where he's trying to describe the personage of God with these brilliant colors, and then you see lightnings, and you hear about thunder and all this, and then you, you, you read about this sea of glass-like crystal, and you can only imagine that the transparent nature of that would make it possible for the glory of God literally to radiate throughout the throne room. I mean, the things one day, folks, that you and I are going to behold are just going to be jaw-dropping. The things that we're going to hear when we get to heaven are going to be unlike any sounds that you and I have ever heard on earth or could hear on earth. It is truly going to be otherworldly. Oh, and speaking of otherworldly, keep reading in verse 6. In the middle of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Crazy, isn't it? God made them. And it reminds us again of the creativity and the imagination of God in, in the different things that he created, even in the angelic or celestial being realm. Some of these angels are just wild, right? And John's going to describe four of them that literally are before the throne of God in his presence at all times, worshiping him. Even here on earth, you and I can begin to appreciate the creativity and imagination of God by just looking around. Look around here. God was pretty imaginative, you know, pretty creative, right? Made us all different. None of us are alike. And then you look at the animal kingdom. 
There's some animals that God made. I'm just like, God, what were you thinking? You know, duck-billed platypus? Come on. You know, giraffe? Crazy-looking animals? That's our God. That's our God. He loves to be creative. He loves to be imaginative, which is why he put the ability to be creative and imaginative in us and why we should express our imaginations and our creativity. That's what I love about kids, because sometimes by the time we get to be adults, we squelch each other's imaginations and creativity. And yet when you read about the creation of God, you realize, oh my goodness, God created some wild beings, including these four that are in the middle of the throne, full of eyes in front and back, And then John says, the first living creature was like a lion. It wasn't a lion, but as I'm looking at it, at the best I can come up with. The second, like an ox. The third creature, it had a face like a man's. And the fourth creature looked like an eagle flying. Now, as I studied this, one of the things that I did see in this is I think that these creatures sort of sum up all of God's creation centering on the noblest, strongest, wisest, and swiftest of the creatures that God made. They sort of represent the created order, if you will. And then he says, each one of them, verse 8, had six wings and was full of eyes all around and inside. And here's where we get to where we've been headed all night tonight. They never rest day or night. The emphasis here is on the unceasing worship of God. Now, when people ask me, Jeff, what are we going to be doing for all of eternity in heaven? One of the prominent things we're going to be doing, not the only thing, but one of the prominent things we're going to be doing is worship. Yes, we're going to be serving God. We're all going to have different roles and responsibilities in his 1,000-year millennial reign kingdom and then in his eternal kingdom. But a prominent part of our existence for all of eternity is going to be worship, which is why even here at the Oasis, we keep trying to encourage more and more people to become devoted, enthusiastic worshipers of God. Think about it. These beings that God created have done nothing all their existence except stand in the middle of God's throne and worship him. And can I just tell you, there's nobody that has more joy in their life than these four living creatures because they are doing exactly what they were created to do. They are as fulfilled and satisfied as they... You would think, oh my golly, they got to get bored after a while, Right? All they do is keep repeating the same thing over and over and over again for millennia after millennia after millennia. No. You know why? Because when you're in the presence of the God that we're talking about tonight, you're not going to get tired of it. You're not going to get tired of it. The other thing we learn here is that the repetition brings out the emphatic nature of worship. It's something that Nicole and I are trying to even work on. 
Sometimes people go, why would he have to keep singing that song over and over again week after week? Or, or why do we have to keep repeating the same thing over again? Because that's the nature of worship. God wants to emphasize certain things in order for it to stick, in order for, it to, for us to get it, and in order for it to be emphasized, brought to the fore. So what are the things here, at least in this vision, that John sees that these crazy creatures that God created are worshiping about. What are they celebrating? Three things. They are celebrating in order, God's holiness, his omnipotence, and his eternality. First, they never rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. What does it mean for God to be holy? The best definition I can give you is that, that it simply means God is holy other, W-H-O-L-L-Y. God is holy other. In other words, there is nothing else like him. He is totally separate from everything in the created order. Nothing like him. No one even close. To God, you see. That's his holiness. And that's something that you and I have to always remind. He's holy. He, he, he's unlike, and, and the thing is, even with his holiness, he has made a way for sinful man to have a relationship with him. Even in that. Because that's, what he wants, and he made the way. His omnipotence. He is the all-powerful. And again, we go back to his infinite or infinitude. There's no limit to his power. That's why when you and I are struggling with something or whatever, and, and, and we want to see God's power manifested or think, you know, go back to that verse in Jeremiah or the one in, in Genesis where God himself says, is there anything too hard for me? Why is Sarah laughing? Is it, is it a big deal for me to bring a baby out of an old man and an old woman? That's nothing for me. For God, nothing is too difficult. Why? Because his power is infinite. In fact, the Bible even so much as says that everything that you and I even know the universe to be, and we don't even know the ends of our universe, right? Because we, we haven't gotten there yet with technology to be able to see all that the universe in, encompasses. That God just did that with his pinky. Think of it that way. That, that was just his pinky flicking out there and the whole universe was created. It, it wasn't like... It wasn't like God struggled somehow. Like it, it took a lot out of God, like he was grunting or something to get the universe created. That, that's what... That's why God is saying to his people, you, you don't need to fear. You don't need to be afraid. You can trust me. I'm all powerful. There's no power even close to mine. You, you put all the power of hell and Satan and all the demons and all that. You put all the power of man that he's ever come up with. You put it all, you combine it all, and it's nothing compared to the power of God. And then his eternality. He's always been, he always will be. 
He has no beginning and no end. Again, nothing or no one else like God. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders throw themselves to the ground before the one who sits on the throne and worships the one who lives forever. Several things in these couple of verses. Number one, notice that these living creatures also worship the Lord and celebrate his sovereignty and, again, his eternality. His sovereignty because it says he sits on the throne. That's very important. That's repeated throughout chapter 4. And then they always are repeating the fact that he lives forever and ever. But also notice something else about worship. If someone was to ask me, what are some basics of worship? Look at verse 9, the beginning. They give him glory, honor, and thanks. That's basic worship. Esteeming God, glory and honor, that's esteem. That's a high opinion of God. And then thanks, gratitude, gratefulness, appreciation. <coughs> Every day, you and I could live in esteem and gratitude to God. There's always things we can be thanking God for. And seeing him higher and higher in our minds and in our hearts. Notice something else, that the worship of the living creatures sort of sets off and stirs and inspires the worship of the 24 elders. And you see this. They, they play off each other. And this is something that worship does. Worship is contagious. We've seen this here at our church. You start getting a couple people who are willing not to are willing to sing out, and guess what? All of a sudden, everybody starts singing out. You get some people who are willing to raise their hands, and pretty soon there's other people willing to raise. You get some people who are willing to say amen every once in a while, and a few more join them. That's what's happening here. It's like these 24 elders who are part of the leadership of worship, they see what the creatures are doing, and they're like, well, we're not going to get left behind. We're coming. We're worshiping. We're right there because that's what it does. In fact, I want you to see this. So you have the worship of the creatures in verse 8. Then you have the worship of the 24 elders in verse 10 and 11. But then go quickly over to chapter 5, verse 13. Then I heard, and we're going to talk more about this next week. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them, singing to the one seated on the throne to the Lamb, be praise, honor, notice. It goes from the creatures who are in the middle of the throne to then the 24 elders, representative, I think, of the saints of the Old and New Testament. And then eventually, you've got every creature in the heavens and on the earth and in the sea that's going to be worshiping the Lord. Amazing scene before us tonight. And what are these elders saying? Verse 11. You are worthy. You're worthy. The worthiness of God to be worshipped. They are exclaiming or declaring that God is deserving of continual worship. Because if we truly see him as the one who is seated on the throne that John sees in John chapter 4, and he doesn't even begin to describe him in all his glory, obviously. I mean, do we see the glory and splendor and majesty of God here in chapter 4? Absolutely. But 
John's only giving us a glimpse. God wants to let our own imaginations begin to go with the greatness of God. And notice here that their emphasis is not, though, only on the worthiness of God. He is also being praised and worshipped for being the creator and sustainer of everything that he created and now sustains. God, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power since you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Let me remind you of something else John wrote in his gospel. Because remember, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's remember what John says about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were created by him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus Christ was the creator of everything. Jesus. And he's being praised for that. In fact, John says that he hears them praising God, not just for creating, but willing it. And think about that. Let, let's bring that down to us. Let's remind ourselves tonight, none of us would exist had God not willed us to exist. God wanted you and I to exist. That's why he created us. God wants us all to know him personally and be saved, which is why he died on the cross for our sins. God wants all of us to worship him and serve him throughout our earthly life, which is why he gave us the, the tongues and, and the breath and the abilities and the spiritual gifts that he's given us so that we can bring him glory and honor even before we get to heaven. And God wills that we spend all of eternity with him, which is why he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. It's only because God willed it that it happened. So tonight, it is only fitting that we don't end this way, but that we end worshiping our God. So I'm going to ask Nicole and Nate to come back. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. And we're going to worship the Lord tonight as we close. We're going to do down here what one day we're going to be doing up there. And we're going to be doing right now what they're already doing up there. And as we sing this last song, let's be reminded of the one that we're singing it to.